Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures, an early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our extra special guest this week is Eric Matisic. Eric is currently the founder of High Wing and has been one of the biggest evangelists for Colorado Tech over the last 20 years. He's a multiple time entrepreneur, the former chief innovation officer of the state of Colorado, and one of the driving forces behind Denver Startup Week, among his many other accomplishments. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Adam. Absolute pleasure to join you and Chris today. Uh, really appreciate you having me. So we've all known you for a while as you know, Mr. Denver Tech. You know everybody. <laughs> You've been everywhere. You've been a huge booster for the ecosystem. Would love to know a little bit uh, for audience, a little brief history of how you got to what you're doing now and what you are working on these days. Thanks, Adam. I, I don't know if that moniker uh, needs to stick. I think the Denver Tech ecosystem is so amazing now that you know, there's, there's many names and many companies and many awesome entrepreneurs that hold that title. And so uh, I, I really uh, am excited to be here today and talk, talk a little bit about that. In terms of me, I'm, I'm a Colorado native through and through. So I've never had a, uh, a zip code outside the state. I love this place. And so for me, it's always been a journey of passion uh, to be able to be here in the Colorado tech ecosystem, building companies. And, you know, I'd say my story is probably very similar to a lot of the great entrepreneurs and people that you have on here. I've always been an entrepreneur. You know, I was the one selling baseball cards and golf balls as a child, and uh, that just kind of parlayed into trying to figure out how to sell different things uh, as I got older, you know, whether that was online music or destination clubs, online travel, and today, digital insurance, regardless of what it is, it's always been a, an opportunity to go build, build companies and you know, kind of bring ideas to reality. And that's really where I seem to find myself at that intersection of ideas and creativity and those who are trying to bring it to life. Uh, great. And love to hear a little bit more about uh, your current venture, High Wing. Appreciate that. Yeah, so High Wing, I, we couldn't be more excited about what the work that's happening there. We've got an amazing team uh, here here in Denver. And then uh, I like to say we have employees from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon. And uh, it's been a really fun journey to build this business. High Wing is the first open data platform for commercial insurance. We're reinventing the way that middle market and large commercial insurance gets transacted. And we're doing that by modernizing the industry. And so if you, if you could take a window into my world on a daily basis, thousands and millions of dollars get transacted daily in the world of middle market large insurance uh, over email. And we've built a lot of systems and tools. And, and uh, we like to say we connect data, markets, and systems uh, to make a more efficient process. And we live and exist uh, to put smiles on the faces of insurance associates and professionals, both the carriers and brokers who are trying to transact uh, complex risk. You know, I, I, I can't say that smiling insurance associates are what I you know really think of when I think of insurance markets. So that's a really important goal, Eric. <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, you got you, you, you to create some ways. And I think, you know, insurance is one of those things that I think from the outside, everyone's, oh my gosh, insurance, it's such a simple industry. Like, uh, you know, I, I, what, you know what's, what's, what's exciting over there? And, you know, for us, um, when you get into the realm of complex risk, I mean, I think it's one of the most complicated uh, industries that exists. I mean, when you think about the multitude of both the exposure and risk landscape, 
um, with the way that programs can be constructed and the way that, you know, companies can manage their risk, whether they are self-insured or whether they're buying, you know, policies to mitigate that risk or, you know, reinsurance. There's just, there's so many different ways to be able to construct risk coverage. It's not something that you can just go buy online and, and have it shipped to you by Amazon. It's got a, it's a very complex process. And so, you know, I think when you have a lot of complexity, complexities can lead to challenge and frowns and we're on a mission to make it really easy to, to allow those who are using our elegant software to be really happy in the process of, of binding insurance. So, you know, Eric, I hadn't realized that you were also a, a former uh, golf ball entrepreneur. So that's actually where I got my start as well. So at a different point, we'll, we'll have to compare notes on that. You know, be, before diving into your biggest lesson, would love to hear your take on how the Colorado ecosystem has evolved over the last, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I know that you've you've seen it from both the private and public sector, and I would just love to hear about what you've seen and observed. I, I always go back to kind of like that last big economic challenge we had, 2010, 2011, 2012. And I really look at that as kind of like this rebirth of a lot of our tech entrepreneurship and, and ecosystem work here in Colorado. And when I, when I take a snapshot of like 2011, uh, we had one co-working space called Uncubed in Rhino. Galvanized didn't exist, or WeWork certainly didn't exist. And you know the the referenceable IPO we had was JD Edwards, um, that was ultimately bought by PeopleSoft, and that happened in the late '90s uh, when the transaction I think with PeopleSoft happened in the early 2000s. And so we were in a dearth of IPOs and just large scale activity here in the ecosystem. And then when you when you fast forward and you look, you know, not only at the events. I mean, we had nine events, one really big event in 2011. But now when you look at in 2021, you've just seen kind of a technology and innovation renaissance in the state. And I think, you know, what was a secret of uh, this amazing, uh, innovative, entrepreneurial cow town in the West is no longer a secret. And I think it's a true top technology and innovation ecosystem in the world. And I think it's because of the people that are here. I mean, I think, you know, Boulder always, you know, touts the highest concentration of advanced degrees in the United States from a concentration perspective. It's no secret that a lot of you know, people migrate there to make sure that they can have a great life and build great companies. And I think probably we'll start to see more of the same thing here in Denver. But you know, if you take that same snapshot, you know, there's tens of co-working spaces in, in, in Denver. Rhino is fully developed. Uh, the A-line now can quickly get people from the airport to downtown. IPOs are like on a steady diet. And we, we even had two in one day this year. Um, so, you know, you're, and, and behind that, you know, great companies that you know, I, I know you're invested in um, are, are behind that, uh, you know, that are also unicorns. And so it's like there's just a tremendous amount of velocity around building companies. And I uh, the one thing I've said for the last decade, which I think is really starting to come true, the ecosystem is solely dependent on the density of entrepreneurs that can build companies here in Colorado. And so where we were density light or in the early 2000s. In terms of like known quantity entrepreneurs that could raise capital and build businesses, we're getting to a point now that we have a deep density of really capable known quantity entrepreneurs. And you're starting to see some of the same types of things that you saw in New York and Boston and Seattle and San Francisco because of that density. And um, it always helps when there's great firms like you and Adam uh, that have brought additional capital to the story as well. Yep. So, Eric, what do you think his has been the change that has brought those entrepreneurs here? I think it started as an economic discussion and decision. I think, you know, if you, if you go back even as few as five or seven years ago, when you really saw, you saw this massive push, you saw Vista 
start to aggregate not one, but five or six companies here in Colorado. You saw really big companies like Gusto and Personal Capital at the time and Slack and now Robinhood, you know, start to put, you know, HQ2s down here in the state. This was before Palantir even announced last year. I mean, this was kind of the, the pre-wave of big companies that were starting to kind of come into the city. And I think originally it was an economic choice. It was a choice of saying office space is 60 cents on the dollar. Talent is 60 cents on the dollar. Uh, it's pre-pandemic. And uh, our employees can have a great way of life. They can buy a house for somewhere, you know, median house pr- prices at the time were probably somewhere between three fifty and, you know, $400,000. And that combination of things, I think, was a really big driver early on. And I think once people got here, I think they realized that the ecosystem and support layer of everything else on top of the economic decision was really powerful, which you know goes into the fact that we've got incredible talent. We've got people that work really, really hard and we build really great companies here. And I think that one two punch is really what's caused the explosion in the last couple of years. One question that you know people have asked us, Eric, is, OK, great. You're right. If you're right on Colorado, you know, it seems like all the trends are moving in the right direction. You know, eight, I think six new unicorns this year already, two more that are likely in the pipeline. Looks like you're well on your way to becoming the next San Francisco, right? How do we get the best of San Francisco and keep that tech momentum going with huge company creation here and still keep the things that make Colorado great? I think it's really, really, really critical that entrepreneurs and founders are involved in the discussion and building the ecosystem. I mean, Adam, you and Chris, since you've started the firm, have been deeply involved outside of your day job, which is managing your fund in building and helping craft and telling the story of the tech ecosystem here in Colorado. I think that needs to happen times a hundred. And I think entrepreneurs need to be involved. I think you've got really great leaders like Rachel Carlson, who's a huge advocate for all the work that's happening here and a big, you know, a very large uh, voice in Colorado. Uh, Brian Leach, aside from running his billion dollar plus business, you know, is a incredible aggregator of community and engagement here in, in, in the community around the work that's happening here. Um, and then, you, you know, of course, a lot of your, you know, really long time, longstanding entrepreneurs like Brad Feld and the team at Foundry have always been mission critical of aggregating and helping bring things to life. And so I think there needs to be a lot more of those entrepreneurs involved in the discussion to help craft it. Left alone, I think it can cause challenges for us. I think with intentionality and with community and with discussion around what do we want to be and how do we get there, I think there's an amazing portfolio and and powerful group of entrepreneurs that can get us there and we can define our own future instead of let our future define us. So Eric, love hearing your perspective on how Denver and the Colorado ecosystem has evolved, but want to dive into the biggest lesson. So you've seen a bunch of growth. You've had a bunch of different roles over your career. What's the biggest lesson you've learned and how'd you learn it? For me, the biggest lesson in looking back on 25 years of entrepreneurship and building companies is that I would take my lesson from Simon Sinek, which is that everything that's around company building and community building and even life is an infinite game. And for me, I, especially with startups, an infinite game is so critical to be cognizant of and aware of because I have always thought about the joy that comes from building companies. And startups and building businesses are a journey. And if you don't love the journey it's and you're only focused on the destination, it's going to be really hard to find happiness. It's going to be really hard to find success. And it's going to be really hard to press through those really challenging times if you're not in love with the high points and the low, low, low points all the same. And so for me, 
you know, I am an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Like I, I love the game. I, I love every piece of it. I love the amazing days where we've got great press releases and we close funding rounds and we're on top of the world. I love those days just as much as the challenging days where nothing's going right. Everything is broken and it feels like the wheels are going to come off the business. Like in that, those amplitudes, I, lo I love, love the journey. And I just think you have to, you know, have that infinite perspective that um, we're never going to arrive. We're just always going to be building. And if we're always building, you know, you can accelerate those amplitudes. But most importantly, you can find happiness between those really big gaps um, of, uh, of, of the dichotomy of building businesses. Yeah, that's interesting. I've uh, an executive coach I worked for described sort of a similar thing as the difference between winning and succeeding. And, and you can define sort of success in a bunch of different ways. But if you only define the outcome is winning, it makes those moments in between much harder to get through to your point. So do you have a few examples from your career of, of sort of that up and down journey of sort of how you've learned to sort of embrace the, the infinite journey as opposed to just the exact moment when you're in it? Yeah, absolutely. Early in my career, you know, we had, uh, this is early twenties. And so like, when you can think about the exuberance of your first entrepreneurial endeavor, like completely blind to anything other than what you see on CNBC. And, uh, I remember, uh, I was, in, I was the first employee had a company called exact radio. I'd worked for two awesome founders and they'd recruited me to, to kind of be the do it all Swiss army knife in the company. And, uh, I remember when we, when we closed our first funding round, you know, it was this amplitude, like we had already finished, like, Broadcast.com was bought for $5.1 billion by Yahoo. We had raised some capital. We had music streaming online. And like, oh my gosh, like I could already like envision the outcomes of uh, the business. And I think for me, it was a valuable lesson because that, that company went up and down and up and down. And ultimately, ended, like that company um, ended up selling a big portion of the assets to a Canadian firm after kind of battling in the legal doldrums of streaming music early, early on in the development of industry. But I think that bright eyed optimism, like thinking that you were finished early on, it was really challenging, you know, you know, to, to go through the kind of next chapters of saying, oh my gosh, like this is not going as planned. And so I think for me, when I look back on that experience, like, especially as I went into startup number two and startup number three and startup number four, I adjusted my amplitude meter of saying like, nothing is ever as good as it is and nothing is ever as bad as it is and so it really shortened and compressed you know the i would say kind of my my amplitude meter internally of just saying like a uh, great we raise capital what's next great things aren't working what's next and it just really really encoded in me the importance of being able to press on regardless of the environment versus defining ourselves by a specific moment in time yeah. and is that something you know now as as the ceo and founder of your own company is that a role you see sort of being critical to play? And at least in my experience, you know, startups often attract a lot of younger employees that don't necessarily have the life experience or the context, right? And I found sometimes as a founder, part of your job is actually helping modulate that amplitude. Because to your point, like it's never quite as bad and it's never quite as good as sometimes people people feel. And, and I found that as, as a leader, that was part of my job with some of the team. Yeah. When I go to cocktail parties, I sometimes uh, introduce myself. My wife would be like, this is my husband, this is Eric. And like, what do you do? And I say, I'm a firefighter. And I always, and I, I, I always answer it that way in the context that like, it's sometimes hard as an entrepreneur to tell people what you do. And I think I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say one day, like, I'm a firefighter. Like every single thing is on fire every day. 
and like, you know, sometimes, sometimes I have a fender bender where I can quickly go and, you know, open the door and put somebody on a, on a backboard and get them to the hospital and they have a quick recovery. There's other days that I'm in a flaming building that I have to actually, you know, try to battle my way out. And, you know, I, I tell you that because I think that as a, as a CEO and as a founder, I think it's always really important to be able to be the shock absorber between those firefights, because there's always, there's always the little things you have to solve the quick HR issue or the miscommunication in the firm or something that's happening that's just, you know, you can quickly do a course correction. At the same time, you have those smoldering infernos. And being able to manage the shock absorbing of those to the company, I think, is always mission critical. And both, A, from a communication perspective, but most importantly, uh, just keeping the emotional cadence and the emotional operating rhythm of the company consistent, I think, is really, really critical. And I think that's just something that you learn over time. I just, I, I you know, I think... You know, it's just something that as, as you have kind of some entrepreneurial radar, um, it gives you the ability to, to be able to, like I said, compress those amplitudes to be able to find lower highs and higher lows. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying resonates a ton. From what I've seen is exactly what you're describing, like great CEOs both can quickly understand the magnitude of the fire they're looking at and then communicate that to the team along with, with helping to put it out or not. 100% agree. Yep. Well, well, well said. Yeah, I think it's it's also Eric um, one of those things that younger employees specifically, and I remember feeling this way earlier in, in my career for sure, was like, okay, we're going to put out this fire, and then the coast will be clear. Put out this fire, then it'll be calm, right? And it never ever is, and and so you, you just have to accept and I think embrace, as you said, that's the process, right? That's the process in every single chapter. I mean, it's always kind of easy to define milestones by funding milestones, because there's a, a moment in time where you stop, you know, you, you have an investment and you move forward. And I always think it's really interesting when you start to march towards an IPO, because everyone's like, oh, the, you know, the, the public markets, that's the end. Like once it's public, like the, we've marched to the end and we've created liquidity. And it's so interesting, you know, having friends that have gone through that process recently, you know, it's always the, it's always the new beginning. Like the moment the company goes public, there's an entire set of rules and expectations that have never been put on the business that you were operating one way before. Now you've got to operate different. And then two years after that, there's a new set of rules because now you have to be consistent and you have to be have have solid rhythm and 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 uh, expectations. And so I just think the infinite game in business is so critical that you always want to be learning. You've got to love the journey and you've got to always be looking across the uh, windshield at what's next and just never looking in the rearview mirror about what happened. It's just, you know, being able to have that perspective of like tomorrow is the best day of the business. And then the next day after that's the next day is the best day of the business. I think it's so critical in building, building companies to have that perspective. Well, and I think too, what sometimes gets lost, as long as you have a shot to always have a next day, you're going to succeed. Right. And you just got to keep finding ways to do that. I agree. And I think you always have a next day regardless. Like, I think like, I mean, you know, Chris, you've done a handful of amazing startups uh, and some of those you've built into really big businesses. And I'm sure there were moments there that like those near death experiences where they weren't going to, they weren't going to succeed. And then they did and they succeeded really, you know, re in a really significant way. And there's probably the same story where there was a golf ball business or something else that you thought it was going to succeed and it completely failed, but yet you found that next business that was successful. And so that's, for me, that that's always been that, uh, that calmness of that, you know, opportunity, there's never, never, a a time in, in, in business where opportunity doesn't carry a premium. 
And so as long as your eyes are on opportunity and, and you're able to bring those things to life, like I think there's always a, a, the ability to be able to, you know, find that that next journey. Yeah, Eric, it's, it's interesting just reflecting on my own back, um, you know, experiences with regard to the, kind of those low, those really low lows. And I remember at, at, at Home Advisor when we switched the brand name 2012 from Service Magic to Home Advisor, we, we pulled the bandaid. We were off and, you know, you know, those in the ecosystem know the story. We were off Google for six days, like completely off Google. And, and everybody, you talk about a low, low, we're like, oh my God, <laughs> we just killed the, we just killed the company. And I, and, you know, in the time, as I, as I reflect, if I were to go through that again, I think the only thing that could help me get through something like that was just having the experience of knowing that, Hey, things like this have happened before. And somehow, some way you bounce back, you know, I, be okay. I, if that's the first time you're going through something like that, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And I, I specifically remember that. And, uh, you know, I think I love service magic. Like I grew up in the, in the community with, with service magic and your, and your office in golden and just like the ore of this really big business that had broke through from tech 1.0 into tech 2.0. And it was just always like a really, really cool story. And I think you're exactly right. Like everyone's like scratch their head, like home advisor, What in the world is home advisor. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously you fast forward to the end of the story and, you know, obviously getting IPO and then the the work after that with Angie's and and, and now a new name. And like, it says like the the story continues and each one of those cycles is a new story. And, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch more stories with Angie's as it, as it continues to grow. So it's like, you know, again, it never stops. Yeah. And, and Eric, you know, it's interesting on that point of the infinite game. And I love that construct. A lot of times you'll see at these growing companies, employees who maybe were there at one stage, right? Start grumbling about, hey, it's not what it used to be, right? This place has gotten worse. And I've always taken a, a different approach, which is these places change to your point, right? The game is different now than it was, you know, a year or two ago. Doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean it's good. It might not be the right fit for you anymore. And that's great, right? And I think that brings it full circle to, the beauty of what's going on in the ecosystem, that there's lots of games going on at different innings at any given time, right? And if you're a really early stage startup person and your company has you know, gone public now and you want to go back to early stage startup, there's a ton of awesome opportunities in Colorado for you to go pursue. Yeah, well said. And I think that more than ever, actually, in terms of being able to, to build businesses, and I just think the combination of technology and innovation and the ability to much more easily bring companies to life with a really amazing ecosystem and community that helps support entrepreneurs doing that is incredible. And you know, I think it's, you're exactly right, but there's always that opportunity to, to have that self-reflection that, Hey, this place isn't for me and I can go somewhere else because like I said, there's never a bear market on good ideas. And so whether you're in Telluride, Colorado, whether you're in Bozeman, whether you're in San Francisco or Winter Park, New York, I'm sorry, uh, Florida, <laughs> Winter Park, Florida, uh, it doesn't matter where you are. Like, it's like if you have a good idea, you can bring it to life. Awesome. Well, Eric, thanks so much for for your part in helping bring so many great ideas to life in this ecosystem, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what what you guys do at High Wing and whatever your next adventures are after that. We'll be definitely big supporters because I know you'll be bringing a lot of opportunity to Colorado. So, thanks again. Where can our listeners follow what you're up to? Oh, easiest place to follow me is, is on LinkedIn, and Matisic's a really easy name to to find because there's only a couple dozen of us in the US and always can can reach out to me at matisic.com and happy to have you engage with you there as well. Thanks again, Eric. Really appreciate it. 